Let's get to work, uh, grab a Bible, and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a copy of uh, a Bible, there's one at your seat, and we would love for you to not just turn with us and to follow along, but to take that with you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, that, it would be our delight to give that to you. Um, if you're kind of new to this Christianity thing or investigating the claims of Jesus, a uh, good place to start in there. I know it's kind of weird where in the world do I jump in. A good place to begin is the Gospel according to John. Uh, it's just a look at the life of Jesus, who he is, who he, who he said he was, what he taught, what he did uh, for us. And so we'd invite you to do that um, if you haven't already. And so uh, today uh, we're going to continue our series that we've been tracking through for uh, several months now uh, on, in the book of Colossians. We're looking at this letter that was written to a church um, hundreds, thousands of years ago. Uh, and looking at what does it teach us about Jesus. And so the series that we've entitled uh, is The Glories of Christ. Because that's Paul's biggest argument. He's writing this church where false teachers have crept in. And people are trying to pull them away from the simplicity of Jesus and from the beauty and the glory of Jesus. And they were saying, Jesus and Jesus alone is not enough. You need to add rules and you need to add uh, your uh, best efforts. You need to add this other philosophy. You need to add um, this asceticism, this feeling that you get uh, Jesus and Him alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, is not sufficient. Jesus is not enough. And so he's writing to people in those days to say, no, Jesus is enough. <laughs> he is all-sufficient. He is supreme, and He is everything. And so we've been gazing at Jesus together. So the first two chapters is really the warnings that he's giving, um, with also just saying, look at Jesus. He's been putting Jesus on display. And so we can't catch it, uh, all of us up where we've been, but please go back and download uh, our passages, our, our sermons, look at the notes, uh, if you, especially if you haven't been here, uh, to really track along with us, to investigate the claims of Christ. Uh, but last week, Jeremy was here, and he was preaching to us from the first four verses of chapter 3. And there's a turn that happens in chapter 3, the way we, the modern English Bibles breaks this down. And so he's moving from this mountaintop of theology and beauty and glory and reality, and now he's getting down to the trenches of where we live. He's getting down to where the rubber meets the road, if you will. He's speaking into our Thursdays at 3 p.m. You know, like in this moment when we're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, you know, our souls are kind of enraptured in that moment. What do you do when the week's kind of dragging on and you're fighting with your spouse? Can I get a witness, anybody? And that's happening. Does your relationship with Jesus, does the glories of Christ have anything to say to those moments, to those spaces? And we're saying, yes, it does. And so we're going to look back at verse, verses 1 through 4 in just a second to remind and to see the context of what we're talking today. Uh, but Paul issues a really stark warning um, in this text, a, a command that on the surface we kind of look at it and go, did he really just say that and what in the world um, does this mean? Before we look at that, I know we just read it, um, but I, I want us to see how this applies to where we're living today in our culture and in the church um, and why my heart is so heavy to preach this text this morning. Um, I want to read a few statements and see if this has ever described uh, something that you've heard in the church, outside the church? Maybe this, these statements even describe some of your worldview and the way you think. Um, have you heard something like this? We don't need to talk about sin anymore. We just need to focus on love. Anybody heard that? I've heard that. I, back before, I mean, I, I've said similar things. Uh, how about this? Let's not be negative. Let's just 
like focus on positive reinforcement, right? Anybody heard that? Anybody taking a psychology class at Etsu? Okay, you'll hear very similar things. Um, I mean, no one's perfect. I mean, I know that. I mean, I'm not perfect, meaning I know I've got some stuff in my life, but I mean, I'm a pretty good person. You ever heard that? Yeah, heard that. Here's another one. Um, and, and I think our church can, this may be a pitfall for us. Uh, let's rest in the promises of God. Let's celebrate grace. Because we're grace people, right? And we don't have to apologize for that. Like, amen, I'm a grace guy. But let's just ignore all the warnings. Let's ignore the hard stuff. Let's ignore when the scriptures say there are consequences to sin. Because, I mean, isn't that Jesus paid it all and we're free and we're loved, not based upon what we do. We're based upon what Christ has done. He loves us based upon that. And that is the good news. So there's no space. Let's not talk about sin. Let's not talk about the things that we get wrong because it's all about grace. And here's the reality, though, church. And listen, to to a degree... That's correct. (laughs) So it it informs the way that we must talk about sin. But listen, here's the reality. Grace will never be sweet. We'll never really be able to sing with conviction, amazing grace. If, until we have a proper view of the bitterness of our sin. We'll say it again. Grace will never be sweet to us. The honey that is the word of God will never land well on the taste palates of our hearts if we don't have a proper view of how bitter our sin is. A church father said this similarly. He says, until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. The grace that we sing about isn't amazing until you keep going in that song that saved a what? A wretch like me. Because when we get that, when we feel that, it does make the grace of God that much more beautiful. And so we don't want to get into the ditches of saying, we're just going to focus on sin. And we forget the scandalous good news of the gospel that it is done, it's finished, apart from any works that we have done. That is good news. And we don't want to say, we're just going to focus on sin and evil and just call you out, turn, repent. Because if you don't focus on that, you're going to miss it. But we also don't want to get into the ditch over here say we're just going to focus on grace. And I have an understanding that that grace is one that t- says no to sin. The grace saves us from that way of life. And you have to have both. You have to have both. So we don't need to talk about sin anymore. Just focus on love. What I would say back is, what is love? If you really want to talk about love, I, I agree. Let's not leave love to talk about sin but let's do both. Let's talk about how that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. That's real love. Self-sacrificing love when we don't deserve it. Love that's some cheap sentimentality that God just accepts us, not based upon any change in us. Like that's, we're missing an intricate piece of the gospel. So don't be negative. Just focus on positive reinforcement. Implies that it's just about our behavior. So all the stuff that's wrong in our lives is just because, you know, we just kind of got some stuff going on in our lives. And if we would just say how we're snowflakes and we're awesome, then we'll just be able to overcome all these lies and live a life. And 
And listen, I'm for positive reinforcement. I'm for looking at people and saying, you have value and you have worth. Because listen, you were created in the image of God. And you matter. And in many ways you are special. Because you're, you were knit together in your mother's womb. You're intimately acquainted by God, with God. He loves you and you are special. <laughs> but the answer is not looking into ourselves to fix this problem, because it's not just about behavior. If all we say is behavior modification, we're missing the point of what our sin really is. It gets down to our heart level, and no amount of think good thoughts is going to fix what's broken in us. And we know that's the case. It all just feels so trite and empty at the end of the day of all these seven steps to healthy, better life and all that stuff. And those things have value and merit to, to a point. But maybe there's a deeper problem going on that isn't going to be... The solutions aren't in all these things. We have to look at the Word of God in its fullness. And so what I'm praying for today is a deep, as we just look at His Word. If you are a guest here, what we have a conviction to do is just walking through the Bible verse by verse uh, to look at what God says. And so what does God say about the way that we should have an attitude toward our sin? What's the right posture that we should have toward our brokenness? Um, and so I'm praying that our eyes are open to how foolish sin really is, how ridiculous it is, how dangerous it is, um, and that we would turn from it. And it matters how we have this conversation, so I hope you'll see um, the balance in that. Um, but I love this statement I'm going to read to us from, uh, this is some guy from like the 15th century, and he's an unbeliever, but he said this, If I knew that God would pardon, so again, he's an unbeliever, so he's doubting that, but if I knew that God would pardon, and if men and women would not see me, meaning see me in all of my mess and my sin, I don't have anything to lose socially, nothing to be ashamed of. So if I I knew God would pardon me, so I'd get off free, and I knew that my sin wouldn't embarrass me, (laughs) I wouldn't get caught, is what he's saying. Yet I would still hate sin hate it because of the vileness of it see that like this guy is saying like if i really believe this i would hate all of this even if it wasn't had anything to do with the punishment that i'm going to get so i think so many times we talk about hating sin it's you better hate your sin if not god's going to get you we're going to talk about some of the realities of that statement that it is true that if you won't turn from our sin that there's consequences and there's punishment of that And yeah, sin hurts one another and it breaks relationships and we're divided and it's embarrassing and we're not our true selves anymore and that ought to be a motivation to not sin, right? Like, we want our relationships. We want to know who we are. But listen, do we hate sin? Not because of something that's going to rob from us, but just that I look at what it is and I hate it. Like I see my sin for what it is in a direct rebellion against a holy God. And even if there's no punishment and even if there's nothing that I lose from it, I don't want it. It's just ridiculous. Why would I take that thing? It's so vile. And I don't know that that describes my perspective of sin so often. Because I think in our culture, I've got to move on. (laughs) But I do believe, we were talking about in our life group a couple weeks ago, um, of the way that our culture, and even in the church today, that we tend to minimize sin in our lives. And I think some of the reasons for that is 
first is we have a very small view of God. That song we just sang, holy, 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 in his presence, like he's completely other. He's set apart from sin. He can't even look at sin. He must punish sin. I don't know that we see that God so high and holy. Yes, he is a friend to us and we have access to him, but he is the creator of the universe. And he is completely other from all of this humanness. And he's infinite and we're finite. He's light and we're in darkness and he's other. And I want us to see the holiness of God, get a picture and a view of who God really is. And I want to make us say, First, like I tremble in his presence. How would I ever say sin is light in light of him? But then also, it's not just a fear. It's a holy awe of him to say, why would I ever choose anything else other than him? When you get a right view of God, you see, that oh, he's big. And I'm a fool to think that he's just going to overlook my sin. But look at him. He's beautiful. Why would we ever walk away from him? I think we have a small view of God. And as a result, we have a puffed up view of ourselves. Sin is an overinflated ego. John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must what? Increase. But sin does the opposite. It says, no, 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 I must increase. And as a result, it's making God decrease in our lives. That's just the reality of where we are. It's the, the nature of our sin. It's pride. We're turned into ourselves. We make it about us. And it was never meant to be about us. You're made for Him. And so as a result, we have such a small view of sin. We just see sin as breaking some rules rather than it being what it actually is. It's cosmic treason against God. So until we begin to see God as he actually is, we'll never see ourselves for how we actually are, and we'll never see our sin for what it really is. And so then, therefore, we'll never respond to it like we should. And so all of that um, to say, can we pray? (laughs) To jump into the Word this morning, um, but to do so humbly, and to say, God, speak to me, show me myself, but don't leave me there. (laughs) Show me your grace. And so if you'll bow with me real quick, let's pray pray a simple prayer uh, together before we jump in. Oh God, what we do not know, will you please teach us? And what we are not, will you please make us into what we should be? And where we don't do what we should do and we do the things that we shouldn't do, God, would you forgive us? God, would you be so gracious, Spirit, now would you come and convict of sin and show us Christ. (laughs) Make him more beautiful to us than any allure of our heart. God, I pray for even the somberness of a text like this. To even feel the weight. The weight is a good thing. It's not bad. Let us not be uncomfortable in our uncomfort. But to realize that what you're doing is you're calling us. In all the pain and the, the conviction, you're calling us, wooing us, begging us to come to you to find rest for our souls. To find life and hope. So God, I pray that that's the, the way that we come in and to look into your word with a heart that I pray already says, Lord, whatever you say to me, my answer is yes. Let us come in with that kind of trust to you, that kind of worship in you today as we look at your word.
get your glory, God, as we look at your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Colossians 3, verse 5. Katie just read it for us, but he says, put to death, man, put to death, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? So what's he saying to us? What is, what is earthly? It's the old self that Nathan was just praying that we would shun. This old way of this inside of us, our soul that looks at God and says, no. <laughs> we are to put that away. We are to kill it. This old self that is earthly in us, that sin is a refusal to be satisfied in God. And that's where all of us are. And he's telling us to, he's talking to believers here. He's talking to people who are in Christ. And he says to you and me today, he says, listen, all that stuff that remains in you, all that sin that lurks inside of you in the Greek, it literally says it's the idea of remain, is that it's lurking in your soul. Those temptations that we have to walk away and those things that we look to to believe that is better than Jesus. He goes, you need to be on guard against it. You need to know that it's actually still in your heart. What you want to do, you don't do. What you don't want to do, you do. It's Romans 7, he's like, I want to follow Jesus, but I know there's this indwelling temptation and sin in my life. That I am fully positionally in Christ, but before he comes back and fixes this and changes me and makes me new, I struggle with sin. Can we be honest about that? And say, that's yes, it's where we are. But he says, okay, what do you do when you come to that place to be acknowledging of your sin? That we're broken still. We don't have it all figured out, and we're still selfish, and we still have all these things. What are you supposed to do? What is the posture that you're supposed to take? And Paul says a phrase that ought to sit on us and go, man, is this the way I view my sin? Really? Does this describe this last week? Put to death. Kill it. Murder. Make war. <laughs> it's violent imagery <laughs> let's be real it's violent put it to death and if we continue reading in chapter three that we read earlier um, a couple other phrases that helps us understand this he says verse eight put but now you must put them what are the what's the them that he's talking about there the evil deed all of our sin you're to put them all away shun them kill them cut them off verse nine the last part of verse nine nine b he says, you have put off the old self with its practices. So if you're a Christian, it means you've killed this old nature that's hostile toward God. And from that, all the things that would cause you to rebel against God, that we're to put them off. It's this, literally the word that you take off a garment. You take it off. You throw it away. No use for it again. So... You say, okay, that's Colossians 3, but I mean, we could follow an arc all through the New Testament. We won't do it for the sake of time. I just want to look at two verses. Uh, the words will be up on the screen. Matthew 5, 29. This is Jesus talking here. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. <laughs> I mean, that's heavy words. And throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members, one of your body parts, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. And again, some people have really taken this verse and twisted it to actually condone 
mutilation of the flesh, to hurt yourself. Some of our old church fathers would throw themselves in the thorn bushes every time they'd think a lustful thought. You know, I mean, it was this idea that I'm going to hurt myself, punish myself so that I won't sin. That's not what he's teaching here. He's saying it's a word picture that says, take it seriously. Don't slap your hand. (laughs) Don't try to teach your hand. Cut the thing off. If it's keeping you from joy in Jesus, if it's causing you to stray, go to whatever means necessary to get it out of your life. I think he would, Jesus would agree with Paul, and Paul would agree with Jesus to say, put it to death. Don't play with it. Don't manage it. Don't try to control it. Kill it. Or what about Luke 9, verse 23? Jesus again says, He said to all, if anyone would come after me, Jesus says, if you want to be my followers, if you want to be in Christ, if you want to be a Christian, here's what you have to do. Let him deny himself. Again, again, that's different than this sin that says it's all about me. My wants, what feels good, what I want in my life today, to deny yourself. You say no to you and all your impulses. And you're to take up his cross daily and follow Jesus. Take up your cross. Now, I don't want to be crass for the sake of being crass, but I want us to see the picture of this. Think about what a cross was in these days. This was a method of execution. Put it to death. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to empty yourself of you. And even in that emptiness, it's going to be hard. And so you have to see yourself as taking up a method of execution to slay your desires and your old self and your wants if you're going to follow me. If you put it to death, you will murder um, all these old desires. So listen, now what this is not, so important to say what it's not. (laughs) This is not trying to manage and be better. Or it's not try to do this in our own strength. This is not put sin to death. You've kind of maybe grown up in church and legalism says, you got to say no to all this stuff, say yes to all this stuff, and if you don't, God doesn't love you. And we're saying that this is not about how we become Christians. This is not about how we are saved. So let's not make the, the lie that this is about legalism, that we're going to put our sin to death, because if we don't, then God's not going to accept us. The more we put it to death, the more He loves us. Like, that is not true. We, he loves us because of Christ, that He did it all we're gonna look at that in just a second but it is saying if you are in him so if you're gonna take up your cross and follow him really what he's saying is just a few days later what's gonna to happen to jesus he's gonna go up to a cross and he's gonna die so he's gonna if you're gonna identify with me jesus says you have to it's going to affect the way that you see your sin to identify with me says that you're gonna have a posture of life that's putting sin to death you have this old self. So almost think about an imagery of a cross. It's as if you take your old fleshly nature that's hostile toward God and you take literally some nails and a hammer and you're crucifying your old self onto a tree. Saying, I don't want that anymore. That's not who I am anymore. And every day what happens is our old self tries to pull itself off of the cross and live again. And what he's saying to us is, no, no, no. If you have died, you've been crucified with Christ, literally, It's no longer you who live. (laughs) So every day, it's as if we get up as we're in the Word and we say, I don't want to live that life anymore. All these impulses and these desires, they lie, and I don't want it. And so within me, there's still this desire away from God. My heart is prone to wander. 
And so what we have to do every day is to re-nail our old self back to the cross. Paul says, I die daily. I put my sin to death. And listen, I want to make it as good news too. I don't want to just, just get heavy, okay? But if we take any other view toward our sin, we will always be bored by grace. I think so often the reason we can't sing grace is amazing, the reason our hearts aren't hot-hearted toward God is because I'm convinced we don't see our sin for what it is. We don't realize what we've been saved from, what He did for us and the good news of the gospel. And so even though this is heavy and it hurts to get that introspective look and there's a lot of discipline to this, a lot of dying to this, a lot of violent imagery, it's for our joy. It's for your praise. The more you do this, the more... God says, if I'm telling you to not go this way, that it's sin. It's not because I'm keeping you from something. I, I want you to know me. I want you to know pleasures in me. I want you to experience life and life to the full. So therefore, cut out anything in your life that's going to rob you from that. It's going to rob you from me. So here's the big idea. I said, man, we're never going to get to lunch. And you're probably right. Um, Here's the big idea. Christ has died for our sin. Isn't that good news? He's died for it. He was crushed so that we wouldn't have to. Listen, if we are in Christ, we have died to sin. It's not who we are anymore. It's a change of identity. So, if those two things are true, if Christ really did die for our sins, and if we are in Christ, that means we have now died to our sins, therefore, we must continually kill sin in our lives. So that's a a couple sentences to what I've been ranting and raving about for 30 minutes. Um, you, said, you could have just read that. I, I know. I get it. Christ has died for our sins. If we are in Christ, we've died to sin. Therefore, we must continually kill sin in our lives. So John Owen, a Puritan, uh, wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. And I really recommend you read it. It's like 80 pages. You can get it on a PDF online for free. You can get through all the these and the thous of the Puritan writings. But it is so good. Um, he says this, and you've probably heard it before. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Put it to death. And if you don't, it's, it's decaying your soul. Galatians says, if you sow to the flesh, if you continue to walk in sin, it's you sow to the flesh corruption, literally decay. You're decaying yourself if you will not say no to sin. So let me ask again, what's your current attitude towards sin right now? How would seeing God rightly change the way that we begin to see ourselves in our sin? And maybe ask the Holy Spirit. I mean, let's, we can be a little charismatic, can't we? Ask the Holy Spirit to say, Spirit, like, what sin are you convicting me of right now? What sin do I have a lazy attitude toward right now? What sin am I tempted to believe in my life that isn't that big of a deal? What sin in my life that I've not put to death and I'm just trying to manage? Or maybe that we're just enjoying and we don't want to walk away from it. What, what are those things for us in our lives? And I think this conversation is why I've spent a lot of time on the introduction. <laughs> um, because, listen, it's the most, one of the most important things in our lives. We're going to walk in defeat. Uh, I heard Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, say one time, there's no one in this world more unhappy than an unholy Christian. 
What he means by that is a Christian that just wants to try to walk with Jesus but walk in their sin. You will be miserable if you really do know Jesus and you don't have a posture like this towards sin. You're going to walk around miserable. There's so much freedom that we can have if we'll get honest and actually make war with our sin. So let's put our seatbelt on and let's hit it in the high gear and let's get going. So what we do with this? How are we to think about this? Real quick, let's go. If we do not put our sin to death, we are living inconsistent with who we are in Christ. It's part of the problem of sin. So he says in verse 5, put to death therefore. So what was the therefore? So Jeremy preached last week, verses 1 through 4. I just want to read some of the statements that I've crafted. It's not crafted, it's just saying what the text says. But let me just remind us of what he says. Since we have been raised with Christ, since our desires have changed, since Christ is exalted over all things, since this world is not our home, since we have died to this world, since our life is secure in Christ, since our inheritance is eternal, and since Christ is our life, he says in verse 5, therefore, kill it. Kill sin. You, you don't, this is not your life anymore. You are in the heavenlies. So cut the ties to whatever's keeping you from experiencing all that is yours in Christ Jesus. What's holding you down? What's hindering you from joy and worshiping? Verse 7 of Colossians 3 says, In these you too once walked when you were living in them. So to be in Christ is to walk differently, is to live differently. He's saying you put off these things because that's not who you are anymore. God has changed your identity. Another passage that Paul writes to another church at Corinth, uh, verse uh, 9 through 11 of chapter 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? I mean, these are big words. Do not be deceived. Don't let anybody lie to you. Don't lie to yourself. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But look what he says in verse 11. And such, what's the word? Were. <laughs> Past tense. Some of you. It's who you used to be. But what happened? Verse 11 says, but, that's a really beautiful promise. But you were washed. Somebody better amen or something on this. Shout, this is so good. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. As Nathan was praying, like, he looks at us and sees Not all of this sin. He looks at us and sees Jesus. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That's who you are. And he did that in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. It's all past tense. That's who you used to be and he has done this in your life. Therefore, everything is different. He says later, or before that, uh, later in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, placed in him, He's a new creation. The old has what? Passed away. It's dead. It's not who you are anymore. So why would you go living in those sins anymore? Because that nature has been crucified. It's not who you are. There's been a transformation that's happened. Behold, look. The new has come. Like you can have new life, a new desire. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. He says, having put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. 
Put on the new self. Put off all this old junk that's not you anymore and put on this robe of righteousness and live that way. Why would you? Uh, I was thinking of a really silly illustration, uh, and it's probably really silly, so I apologize in advance. But you go outside and you mow your yard on Saturday. Anybody mowing your yard? Okay. And you get stanky. Can anybody get a witness? You're stanky after you mow? I'm stanky after I mow. And you, you come in, you get the water, and what's the first thing you're doing? I mean, you want all that stink off, take a shower, clean up. How foolish would it be to say, I'm going to go to a wedding, I'm going to do a wedding for somebody, to say, instead of putting on my suit, my preaching suit, you know, and go do this wedding, I'm going to put back on those old, nasty, sweaty, grassy, muddy clothes and go do the wedding. Like if, so you brides in here, if I came to your wedding, I'm about to marry you guys, Emily, I came to your wedding in a couple months and I'm dressed like that, just stanky. You'd be like, dude. Put that off and put on something new. It's like, almost like that's not appropriate. Why would you, if all of this stuff is just in, in a mess and it's nasty and it's dirty, we can't wait to take it off, how foolish would it be after being cleansed to put that back on? It just doesn't make sense. You just don't do it. And it's almost it's so trite and silly of the illustration of what he's saying here. But it's this issue of this is not who you are. Put it off. And how foolish would it be if you've been covered in the righteousness of Christ you have everything you need in him, why would you go back to those old, dirty clothes? So put them to death. Put them off. It doesn't make sense. It's inconsistent with who you are. So Paul Tripp, he's one of my favorite authors. You hear me knock him off and quote him in like every sermon. Um, even if I don't give him credit for it, I usually use this stuff in every sermon. Um, it says, every time we sin, every time we sin, we are suffering from an identity crisis. Think about that. Every time you sin, you're suffering. You're forgetting I have everything I need. Why would I go to this? The, the old angry prophets used to, would say to the people, you have fountains of living water. Why are you going to these old dusty wells? Why? You, this is who you are. You're in Christ. But then he says, if, and I think another statement would be fair. So if we don't put our sin to death, we're living inconsistent with who we are. But if we do not put our sin to death, we are living as if Christ's work is unnecessary. Romans chapter 6, I just want to read these to us. I'm going to abstain from preaching this text and just let the Word do its talking. Um, the Word's on the screen. We know that our old self, see that, was crucified with Him. What's it say? In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing or that it's going to be killed so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Listen, church, it's finished. (laughs) He's paid for it. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So also you must consider yourselves. Let's say that together. Consider yourselves. Think this way about yourself. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus who you are he's killed your sin he's put it to death he's triumphed over it. it's finished and he did that so that you could have victory over your sin so that sin would no longer have a, be a slave over you a slave master first peter 2 24 says he himself this is jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness you see that he became sin and so you want to know how to say no to temptation I mean, really? To really fight sin, to really put it to death? 
Every time you have a desire that's contrary to God's word and contrary to him, think about the Son of God taking your place. That sin that we run to, that we tend to not think is that bad. I mean, I want you to see in your mind's eye, Jesus suffering, bleeding, dying, bearing the wrath of God that was for me. What do you see? that All the lust, all the pride, all the greed, all the arrogance, all the need for control. He became that. He bore in himself, on the tree, all of our sin, paid the debt. So if we continually say yes to sin and no to Jesus, we're looking at that sacrifice and saying, yeah, I mean, I don't really care. Oh, God, help us. Uh, So the cross teaches us about sin. You want to know why we should put our sin to death? Is look at what God had to do. There's no way for us to have access to him again unless the Son of God, the God-man, became sin and was brutally murdered and absorbed the wrath of God for us so that we could go free. That's the only way it was possible for us to be reconciled to God. And if if our sin was that big of a deal to kill Jesus, I mean, think about this. We sing this old hymn. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It's me. Like, I did that. He was doing that for me. And look at the cost of your sin. Grace is free to us, but it is very costly. The Son of God took our place. So if you want to know about how bad sin is, look at the cross. Look at it. But if you also want to know about the love of God for us, look at the cross. That He's doing it for us. I mean, we should have been on the cross. It should have been us, but he took our place. It's such good news. And so he continues in Romans 6, verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. Like if he's done this, don't let it have control over you to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. For sin will no longer have dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace so we've not just been saved from our sin we've been saved to something so listen to be in christ means you trust that he's taken that place christ has died for our sins therefore we have died to sin you have access now but listen you are saved to something he died for you yes to pay for your sin but not just so that you can get your sin paid for so that you could be with him that's why he did it. So why would we allow this indwelling sin to continue? Because it's keeping us from him. So put it to death. Don't let it have control over you. And, and lastly, if we don't put our sin to death, we are revealing we are not in Christ. It's a heavy statement, I know. But verse 6 of Colossians 3 says, On account of these things, these sins, the wrath of God is coming. These are the things that the God is wrathful against. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So listen, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, this is you. You're an object of wrath because he must punish our sin. Our sin is a big deal. But listen, he's 
calling out to you from, not because I'm saying it, but from the word and says, if you will just turn from that, if you'll see the folly of your sin and say, I don't want it anymore. And you will say, I want you, God. I want to be cleansed by you. I want to live for you. I want to put that sin to death. He's offering forgiveness and hope and restoration. But it's only for those, listen, only for those who will say, I want to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. And what I mean by this is say, if we continually, listen, live in sin, Without any repentance. I'm not talking perfection because ain't none of us perfect. We're just talking about how bad we struggle. This isn't about the standing before God. But if there is a continual practice of it and there's no hatred of it, there's no wanting to kill it, there's no wanting to walk away from it, we have to ask ourselves the question because the Bible makes us ask the question, do I really know Him? Am I really in Him? And that's not to doubt our salvation. It's to say, this is what it means to be saved. Verse Romans 8, 13 says, For if you live, if you make your practice according to the flesh, you will die. That's eternal death. He's writing to to Christians. You say, well, I thought we couldn't lose our salvation. No, we can't lose our salvation. But he's saying there's a warning. If you continually practice it, there's no hatred of sin. You may not have new life. I don't have time for this, but we're going to read it because I feel like I need to read it. 1 John 1. Read these words on on the screen here. Um, Read this. Uh, just quietly in your seat and just let the Spirit do the convicting that He needs to do. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. It's such good news. But then He turns it to another warning. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, here's good news again. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's so good. But in verse 10, he gives another warning. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, (laughs) and his word is not in us. So, John Piper says this, and let this be the end uh, here for us. If you are at home in your sin, like comfortable there, you are at war with Christ. Like they can't go together. He's, he's light. And so if you walk in darkness and say you're in the light, you've, there's something wrong there. Darkness goes away when light shows up. So if you're at home in your sin, you are at war with Christ. But if you are at home in Christ, you must be at war with your sin. If your home is in Jesus, you're satisfied in Jesus, and He's your everything, and you've by faith repented of your sin and trusted that He's taken your place, and you're home there, you're fighting sin, then we, it changes the way we have an attitude toward it. We must kill it, make war with it. And so I've got like six pages more of notes, but we're going to unhitch right there, okay, so we can all go to lunch. But here's how we do it. How we do it. I'm not going to pack all this because I don't have time. It took too long in the introduction. You know how I am. Um, but listen, if you want to really fight sin, We must attack the root, not the fruit. Meaning, don't just look at all the outward behavior of your life. you got to get at where it's coming from. Anybody pulled up weeds and you didn't really get down in there and get where the roots are coming? It's going to come back quick. So if if all you're fighting of sin is just, okay, I have a temper, therefore I'm going to work on not blowing up with my temper, you're never going to win. Maybe, just maybe, the reason we have a temper and we're angry is because there's something much deeper going on down deep under our souls. 
So the question is, not just what is my sin, but look at all of our behaviors and say, okay, these are sins, we need to confess those, but we got to get down and say, what's the root of the sin? What's the sin beneath the sin? What's the motivation that's causing me to lose my cool? So fight that. Fight that motivation. And we trust that the fruit is going to change if we get at the heart level. And so he gives us these lists and says all these lists of sexual immorality and impurity and passion and evil desires and idolatry. He's just giving examples. And say, but I think the point, we're going to unpack all of that, but we don't have time. So let's go have lunch and we'll talk about sin this week if y'all want to hear my notes. But um, he's giving us a list that it's not just enough to confess that I'm a sinner. He's saying these are specific sins that shows us our need. And so we need to get down to the nitty-gritty of the specifics and say, God, I want to confess these sins. I don't want these sins. And what does my uh, lust say about my soul? So yes, men, women, let's fight lust. (laughs) But if you really want to fight lust, you've got to fight what's causing the lust. And it's a worship problem. And it's an identity problem. And it's all these things uh, that we talk about so often. Um, What's the sin beneath the sin but second if you want to fight sin you know how you do it we've got to reject self-sufficiency by the spirit of god and the word of god so that same verse that we just read that if you live by the flesh you will die but romans 8 says if you live by the spirit if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live see that by the spirit that changes everything this is not god looking at us saying do more Try harder. Be sufficient in yourself. You really want to fight sin? You really want to put it to death? You do so by the Spirit. Galatians 5 would tell us that if we walk by the Spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. They're contrary to each other. So if you're in the Spirit, if you're walking with Him every day, you will say no to sin. So how do we walk by the Spirit, Derek? How do we, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body? We don't put to death the deeds of the body by our best efforts by our legalism by our trying hard by our discipline we put the sins to death by the spirit well, ephesians 6 17 says take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the who of the spirit which is the what word of god praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication you say derek really the end of this is going to be read your bible yeah <laughs> really derek you tell me look at jesus that's the answer it's that simple. It's basic. It's why we say it all the time. So don't let that become trite. Like if you thought some big thing was going to happen at the end, like this is the hope. You fight sin by the word because it's in the word that we see God. And we don't want those things anymore. We understand what our sin actually is and we know the power of the gospel to put it to death. Psalm 119, keep steady my steps according to your word and let no iniquity get dominion over me. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How can a young man keep his ways pure? By guarding it according to the word. It's a matter of life and death, and so we want to do that uh, now. So we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, and I'm coming down here to get family with us, um, because if you're here and you've never taken the Lord's Supper, you don't know what that is. Um, The Lord's Supper is a symbol that God's given us to do what we're saying to do. (laughs) To remember and confess our sins. What our sin has caused. And so the Lord says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So we take this, this meal of the bread and the cup. The bread symbolizing the body of Jesus that was broken for us. Why was it broken? Why did he die? For your sin. 
So all the sin and the guilt that we feel in this room right now, going, oh my gosh, I'm such a terrible human being. And the answer to that is, I mean, yeah, yeah, we are pretty bad. But that's good news. If, we, if it was just stopped there, I mean, what hope do we have? But the hope that we celebrate as Christians is that although we are that evil and that sinful and that messed up and that worthy of punishment, Jesus became your sin. Paid it. And when you bite into that bread in just a second, I mean, and, and the bread even crunches underneath your teeth. It's supposed to be a symbol of his body was crushed instead of you. Man, that's good news. And when you take that cup and you hold it in your hand, you look down at it, it's the blood of Christ that was shed to wash you clean from all your guilt and all your shame. And so it is heavy, isn't it, all this. But this should be celebration that our sin goes deep, but his grace is greater still. Amen? So he says, as often as you do this, let it be a confession, but also, um, the team can come on up and get ready. Let it be also this, um, this moment of remembering what he's done and celebrating it. Resting in it. And he says, as often as you do it, you proclaim my death until I come again. One day, we're not going to have to struggle with sin anymore. Isn't that awesome? I can't wait for that day. But until he comes back, you know what he says? Hey, church, when you gather together, I want you, as often as you do this, you take this meal together, I want you to do it in remembrance of me, and you're proclaiming my death. You're reminding one another of what I've done and how good it is. So that's what we want to do. We want to remember this beautiful uh, gospel so uh, in a posture of heart just worshiping the lord uh let's go ahead and stand up and go to the tables there's two in the back two in the front and this team our team's going to sing this song jesus thank you and let's just sing as we're coming to the table uh but if you're here listen and you do not know jesus we do ask that you not take of the lord's supper and we're not trying to be exclusive to you but we take this very seriously god's warned us not to do this in an unworthy manner but we offer you more than just a symbol of Jesus and his death and resurrection we offer you Jesus and so please use this time to contemplate the gospel as we're taking the Lord's Supper but if you're here and you know Jesus in a posture of repentance of sin claiming the righteousness of Christ let's take uh, grab the elements come back to your seat and after we sing a few of these verses and chorus we'll come back up and take it together okay so just wait in your seat so come now uh, and get the elements and come back to your seat